So some of you guys know I went to New Zealand lately, or recently. And um, when you're traveling, who here has ever traveled to a different country? Anybody? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're all excited about it. So good. Well, when you travel to a different country, you need identification. You have to show your ID. Last year, when I went to New Zealand, I had an issue because my passport had an old picture. And those of you guys who know me really well know that I've gone through a lot of, like, metamorphosis changes over the years. It's a weird way to say it. Um, but yeah, this was my old picture on my pa or it wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't the picture, but it was from that time period. So yeah, look at it. Just take a moment to bask in 15-year-old Aaron Salvato. Wow. That's a weird thing I'm doing with my hand. Just like, I don't know if I can do it. Yeah, that's me. And last year when I was going through customs, I kept showing people my passport picture, and they're looking at me, and they're like, this is not you. What, what is this? this? This picture does not match. This is not you. Why am I doing a Russian accent? We were going to New Zealand. It's all, they're all, hey, hey, man, this isn't you. Crikey. No, it's Australian. I don't know. Um, we need identification, though, to prove who we are, and I could not do that last year. I got stopped at so many border checks. So this year, I went out, and I got a new passport picture. But the whole point of identification is to prove we are who we say that we are. And sometimes the ID doesn't match what the card says. Like what it says on the ID card doesn't necessarily match up with who we really are. Um, when John Barger and I were doing our business together, Skippy Shorts, and we had our little studio in Carlsbad, one time we got asked to go down to ABC, to like the film studios at ABC. And it was weird. It wasn't like they wanted us to send in a demo tape. They wanted us to perform a puppet show to demonstrate our characters. So we went down, and um, we got our pictures taken at the little gate, and they made us these little laminated badges. And John Barger's had his picture, and it said, John Barger. I got mine back, and it's this picture of me, again, big afro, and it says, Ermichael Krupp. <laughs> I don't know who Ermichael Krupp is, but my ID didn't match. Well, today... In our lesson, in our message, we are going to be looking at kind of a story about identity, a story about identification. And we have the character of Judas, which everyone knows betrays Jesus, and we're going to be looking at how his identity didn't really match up with who he really was. On the outward, he seems like this follower of Jesus, but on the inward, something different is happening. And then we're also going to be looking at what's our identity. So to start off, we're in verse 16. We're going to go through it with this video so you can follow along in your Bibles. Verse 16 is where we're going to start. John chapter 13, verse 16. Here we go. I am telling you the truth. No slaves are greater than their master, and no messengers are greater than the one who sent them. Now that you know this truth, how happy you will be if you put it into practice. I'm not talking about all of you. I know those I have chosen. But the scripture must come true that says the man who shared my food turned against me. I tell you this now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. I am telling you the truth. Whoever receives anyone I send receives me also. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. After Jesus had said this, he was deeply troubled and declared openly, I'm telling you the truth. One of you is going to betray me. The disciples looked at one another, completely puzzled about whom he meant. 
One of the disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, was sitting next to Jesus. Simon Peter motioned to him. Ask him whom he is talking about. So that disciple moved closer to Jesus' side. Who is it, Lord? I will dip some bread in the sauce and give it to him. He is the man. So he took a piece of bread, dipped it, and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. Hurry, and do what you must. None of the others at the table understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas was in charge of the money bag, some of the disciples thought that Jesus had told him to go and buy what they needed for the festival, or to give something to the poor. Judas accepted the bread and went out at once. It was night. After Judas had left, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man's glory is revealed. Now God's glory is revealed through him. And if God's glory is revealed through him, then God will reveal the glory of the Son of Man in himself. And he will do so at once. My children, I shall not be with you very much longer. You will look for me, but I tell you now what I told the Jewish authorities. You cannot go where I am going. And now I give you a new commandment. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. If you have love for one another, then everyone will know that you are my disciples. Where are you going, Lord? You cannot follow me now where I am going, but later you will follow me. Lord, why can't I follow you now? I am ready to die for you. Are you really ready to die for me? I am telling you the truth. Before the rooster crows, you will say three times that you do not know me. Do not be worried and upset. Believe in God. And believe also in me. All right. So that's the story. How are we doing? Everyone good? Good. It's a story about betrayal. First observation from the video, Jesus is into really deep v-necks, apparently. Like, extremely deep. Now, this is a story about betrayal. Ever felt betrayed? Anybody? Ever felt betrayed? Ever felt like you got stabbed in the back by somebody else? I definitely have. What we've got here is one of the 12 disciples, one of the guys who had been handpicked by Jesus Christ to go on his mission, one of the guys who'd been with Jesus for three years of his life, betraying him. I think we could talk about a lot of different things, but I think what I want to focus on in this passage is I want to focus on this morning Jesus, because I think with Jesus, we see the amazing love of Christ. Because Jesus, in this story, like in the whole story of what we're looking at, Jesus knows. He knows from the start what Judas is going to do. Like, think about it. Right from the moment he picks him, he knows. Through everything they go through, Jesus knows exactly what Judas is going to do. And yet we see in the story Jesus loving Judas. Today we're not going to be talking about the horribleness of man. We're going to be talking about the faithfulness of God and his love. Jesus is always the hero of the story. And today we're going to look at the amazing ability to love that Jesus had. The first way I think we see is Jesus loved when it was most difficult. Okay, so think about it. Last chapter, um, how many of you guys were here when Scotty taught on the uh, feet washing? Anybody? Yeah? I think one of you guys actually got your feet washed, right? Was that Daniel? Or you washed Tony's feet, right? Was that awkward for you? 
That, that's awesome, dude. Um, so this is what's crazy, okay? In the last chapter, we see Jesus washing the feet of Judas. Think about that. He washed the disciples' feet. And it wasn't like this weird, like, it, it totally could have been, like, passive-aggressive. You know what I mean? Like, Judas is sitting there, just imagine it. Jesus is down there washing the feet, and he's looking at Peter, and he's like, so, or he's looking at Judas, and he's like, so, Judas, you got any plans today? Any plans to do anything, um, anything cool, you know? Like, you're going to betray anybody? You're going to sell anybody out for 30 pieces of silver, Judas? He totally could have done that. But instead, he shows Judas unconditional love. He just loves Judas. He gets down and he washes the feet of Judas, his betrayer. You know, sometimes people are hard to love. Have you ever experienced, like, someone in your life that's hard to love, especially after you feel betrayed by them, especially after you feel like they stabbed you in the back? Maybe you guys were close friends. You got along really good. Everything was great. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, there's gossip going around about you. And you track it down, and it's that person you thought was your friend. Maybe it's somebody you were so close to, and you expected them to help you with something. And then before you know it, like, they let you down. And all of a sudden, you're failing your school project because this person decided to go play video games instead of help you with it. I don't know. I felt betrayed before. Um, I had a math teacher. Um, you guys know Fred Boshaw, right? So he had a son named Alex, and great guy. But when he was like, he's probably like in his early 20s, so I'll forgive him because when you're in your early 20s, you do a lot of dumb stuff. But he's my math teacher, and we did not like him. We liked, we liked Fred. Fred was a little hard, but his son, Alex, at the time, he had participation points. And basically, that meant you had to show up to math class every day with like your math journal, a protractor, a compass, four pencils, like a specific amount of pens. It was crazy. And so like we... Like, we're high school kids. Like, we're, we're not going to remember all that stuff. So every day, we're getting marked down for participation points. We're, like, failing our class. So we already don't really like this guy at this point. Well, I went on a science field trip, and um, we went to Six Flags, and I was totally lame. I didn't go on any rides because I'm lame. Um, I was the one kid who just hung out. But I did go on the water ride, and we had this little sheet that we – it was, a, it was a, a science class project to go to Six Flags, and basically we had to, like – calculate like these I don't know I don't you know what I'm so bad I don't even know what we did we were supposed to look at the rides and like calculate something it was it was a stupid project well I'm trying to do it I'm sitting there I'm trying to figure it out I'm getting like halfway through the sheet and I go on this water ride and my sheet just gets soaked like just completely drenched with water like you can't even read it and so I go to my my teacher Alex who I think is supposed to care about my education and I say to him, Alex, look at my sheet. It got wet in the water ride. And I kid you not, this is what he said. Sucks for you. <laughs> and then he laughed like that. That's how he laughed at me. Like, I felt so betrayed. I was like, you're supposed to care about my education. This is like a knife in my educational heart, Alex. Alex, if you're listening, I love you. But, yeah. Sometimes it's the people that we like the least that may need love the most. I heard this story about this girl named Rachel. And um, Rachel was going to this school, and there's this girl named Chloe. And uh, she ends up sitting next to Chloe um, because of assigned seating. And, you know, Rachel's this nice girl, like Christian girl, loves the Lord. Chloe's like this foul-mouthed, like dirty-minded, just 
like horrible person basically who all she does is just make fun of Rachel for her Christianity. She puts her down, she makes her feel small, she tells her that she's a chump, like all this stuff. And Rachel knows that Jesus tells us, love your enemies. So she's trying her best. She's trying to reach out to this, this Chloe girl. Um, and it's just, it's just not happening. Like every time she tries to talk to her, not even trying to preach at her, but just trying to talk to her and be friendly, she gets shut down. And so Rachel's doing her devotions, and she comes across this verse. Um, it's it's uh, from John 13 that we just read. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so she's reading this in her devotions, and she's like, Lord, like, I don't want to love her. That's so hard. Like, can I just ignore her? Can I just love her by praying for her from a distance? And she's reading, and, and the Lord's speaking to her spirit and says, don't give up. Just keep trying. So she keeps trying to reach out to her. She keeps getting just blown off by this girl until one day, eventually, Chloe comes to Rachel and says, hey, can I talk to you for a second? And Rachel's like, sure, sure. what's going on? What's up? And, and Chloe says to her, you're the only person who cares, out of everyone in the school, you're the only person who has consistently tried to be nice to me, and I need to talk to somebody because my dad just walked out on our family. He found some younger lady than my mom and just ran off with her, and, and she just totally sits down and starts sobbing, and Rachel's able, able to just to give her a hug and say, hey, listen, let me tell you about the hope you can find in Jesus, and Chloe ends up getting saved. True story. It's awesome. Sometimes the people who are the hardest to love are the ones who need the love the most, um, for me, it was hard for me to love my sister growing up because she would always frame me. Like, when I was born, everything was great, you know? I, I had my little old man sweaters that I wore when I was a baby. If you haven't seen on Instagram, there's a picture of me in this little, like, old man Benjamin Button sweater. And it's great. Everything was great. And, and I was the only child, and I got all the love of my parents, and then the siblings came. And uh, I'm not bitter, you know? But, I mean, you've seen my car. And then look at my siblings' cars. You know, it's, it's awesome. Um, but uh, for me, um, my sister Amy, like the minute she was born, she started like literally, like she was, I think she was demon-possessed when she was little because she would break things and knock things over and smash things and she'd eat the cookies and she'd go to my mom and dad and say, Aaron did it. And I mean, who are they going to believe? Like this seven-year-old or, you know, this five-year-old boy or this adorable, precious, little, curly-haired, angel-faced little girl? Who are they going to believe? Obviously, they believe my sister. So I was framed for a lot of crimes I didn't commit. For some of you guys, though, it might be harder. Like, seriously, for some of you guys, like, it might be difficult to love because there's people in your life that genuinely you hate. Maybe they've done something to you. Maybe they broke your heart. Maybe they messed up your family. Maybe they did something. And, and maybe, maybe there's stuff that happened and no one even knows about in this room and only you know or only your family knows. And, and you've got people in your life that when you think of them, your blood just boils. You're like, I don't want to think about them because I'm so angry at them. Well, I think we need to look to Jesus as our example because Jesus loves the people who mistreat him. It's crazy. Like, if you want to learn how to love people who mistreat you, look no further than Jesus. I read this story about this, um, this African lady who was a part of the Zulu tribe, and she comes to Christ. I don't know how, maybe through a missionary, but she gets saved. Well, the problem is her husband is the leader of that tribe, and he's into all sorts of pagan magic, sorcery, not really into Jesus. And he finds out that his wife now follows Jesus, and he ends up beating her, almost beating her to death. 
And she's lying on the floor, and he looks at her, and she's just this bloody mess, and he says, what can Jesus do for you now? And she looks up at him, true story, and she says, he can help me to forgive you because I have chosen to love. I think that's, that's so good, guys. As Christians, that needs to be our heart. I have chosen to love. Sometimes you feel like your love has run out. You've got to remember your source. How do you define love? Like for you, like when you think of the word love, how do you define it? Is it just a feeling? Is it like this warm, fuzzy feeling that you get? For me, I mean, there's all different types of love. Like I can say, I love pizza, absolutely. Oh my gosh, Brooklyn made pizza the other night, homemade pizza. It was so good. It came out of the oven. It was just doughy and just amazing and just, it was so good. Yeah. Are you hungry right now? Yeah, it was great. But you know what? I love my wife. I love her for making the pizza, but I just straight up love my wife. So I love pizza and I love my wife. Here's where I make the distinction. If someone pulls out a gun and starts shooting, I'll dive in front of my wife to save her. I'm not diving in front of the pizza. You can shoot the pizza and I'm fine with it. I think love is not just words. It's not just feelings. It's action. Love is doing. It's serving. And love is being able to give more than you take, I would say. Love can't just be feelings because feelings change. Like, for instance, um, I needed someone from the crowd. Let's say me and Byron are hanging out. What's up, Byron? And let's say, you know, I love Byron, you know, because Byron's my buddy. And, you know, we don't, we don't have, like, too much in common, but I just like him. I like his style. So when I hang out with Byron, I'm like, I genuinely love you, Byron. But you know what? If Byron were to come up to me and, like, take a hammer and break my kneecaps with him, I mean, Byron, I don't know if I'd love you anymore. <laughs> like, I'd just be like, well, Byron, why'd you break my kneecaps? Like, love can change based on circumstances. So listen, listen, for the Christian, listen, are you with me? Love has to be a choice. It has to be something that we choose to do. Here's a, this is a great question. Listen, where does your love come from? Guys, where does your love come from? When you're tired, when you're unmotivated, when you feel like you have nothing left to give, where does the source of your love come from? I would say it absolutely has to be Jesus. Because when you're loving in your own strength, it's draining. It's absolutely draining. Because here's the thing. Guys, we, think about in your life. Think about the people that you care about. Have they ever disappointed you? Yeah, have they? Yeah. And that's draining because we put these expectations on people. Girls, if you've never dated yet, man, when you start dating your first boyfriend, you are going to put all these expectations on him being perfect. And he's going to try his best to meet those expectations. But eventually, a few months into the dating relationship, he's going to start dropping the ball. He's going to start, he's going to be trying to, when you, when you first start, start dating, you try to be superhuman. And then eventually you realize that you can't keep that up forever, and then your humanity comes in. Same thing with girls and guys. Uh, guys, the girls that you date will be putting on their best show for the first part of dating, but eventually you will realize, oh man, she's a sinner just like me. Oh man, she's messed up just like me. Oh man, she has problems just like me. And it becomes exhausting because we put expectations on people and we're constantly disappointed, and it leaves us bitter. It leaves us bitter because it's like, I expected you to be this. Dad, you were supposed to be this, and you weren't, and now I'm bitter towards you right? Are you with me? That's, that's where we're at. Because we're, this is the problem. 
A lot of times we're loving because we're trying to get something in return. We're loving because we're expecting to get something back. For instance, I had a dog. Uh, his name was Toby. He was amazing because he was fluffy and cute, and you would love him. You'd feed him, and you'd take care of him, and he loved you back. Like, he would lick you. He'd run up to you. You'd open the door. He was so excited to see you. So, you know, I took care of that dog because I got something back from that dog. You know what? I had a goldfish. That goldfish gave me nothing back. <laughs> like, I loved that goldfish for like a week, but like, it, it just, it just kind of floated. And then it floated to its death when I forgot to feed it because I didn't care about it because it gave me nothing back. And listen, in your life... There's going to be people you're called to love, and there's going to be times you feel like they're not giving you anything back. They're just doing straight-up goldfish, and you're pouring into them. You're spending time with them. You're just pouring out your heart. You're loving this person, and they're just giving you nothing. Why love? Because love isn't about what you get. It's about what you give. That is how we model the love of Jesus. Man, I know I've known in um, my time doing youth ministry, I've known moms who like literally will not stop praying for their kids. Like they've got kids who are running away from home, out doing drugs. Like just, I remember years ago before most of you guys were even in high school, there was this one kid who just kept running away and running away. And like if I was the parent, like I'd probably be like, yeah, just let him go. Let him do his own thing. Like the mom is texting me in Brooklyn every day, pray for my son, pray for my son, pray for my son. Please don't give up praying. That's love. When you don't get anything in return. How do we do that kind of love, though? How do we do that? Like, how do we wash the feet of our enemies when they're stabbing us in the back? I've talked about this before, but Jesus, he doesn't throw out responsibility to you. He doesn't say, hey, listen, you, you got to love your enemies. I don't care if you feel like you can't do it. Toughen up. Love your enemies. Come on. No, you know what Jesus does? Jesus, it's not about the responsibility he gives you. It's about the response to his ability that you have. Think about it this way. Like, think about loving your enemies. Picture it like a giant boulder. And, like, it's not like this. It's not like Jesus says, hey, go lift that. Go lift that boulder. And you're trying to, like, I want to love my enemies, but it's really hard. And then you, like, try to lift up the boulder, and it crushes you. And you're, like, crushed by your inability to love your own enemies. That's, that's not what happens. It's kind of like Jesus is able to lift that boulder. He comes over and says, hey, look what I can do. And he just lifts out that boulder, and he's like, ha-ha, check it out. And you're like, whoa. Jesus, you love your enemies. You died on the cross for them. They beat you and they spit on you and they whipped you and you love them. That's amazing. And then Jesus says, yeah, hey, why don't you come place your hand directly underneath mine? So you're, you're there and you're putting your hand there and he's lifting up that boulder and you're just responding to his ability to do so. That's it. It's not your responsibility. It's your response to his ability. And the amazing thing is that God's love never runs out. He gives it to us so that we can give it away. How many of you guys have ever had the phone at 2% panic? Anybody? You're like sitting on the couch, your phone's draining, you know it's running out, you know it's going to be gone soon, but you're too lazy to go up and get your charger, and then it gets to 2%. How many of you guys have ever tried to pawn that job off of one of your family members? Hey, hey, can you go, can you get my charger? It's about to die. That's, Brooklyn does this to me all the time. She's like, can you go in the room and get my charger? And I'm like, oh, babe, like I'm doing something. She's like, oh, it's at 2%, it's going to die. And then it dies, and she, then she's mad at me because I didn't go get the charger fast enough. That's the reality. It's, 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 it's when we... When we have something like our phones, we want the power. And if it's going to run out, we're desperate for it. 
How many of us are that desperate for the power of the Holy Spirit? How many of you guys recognize when you're dry, when you recognize you're spiritually empty, when you've been having a rough week or a couple weeks or months and you just feel like you have nothing in you? How many of you guys are like, man, get me that Jesus charger cable. Bring him over. Let me plug in. I got to read the word. I got to spend some time in prayer. I got to listen to some worship music. I got to put on my phone a Bible study and just listen and sit at the feet of Jesus. How many of you guys right now are treating this like a charging session? Or how many of you guys are just thinking about what's for lunch? Jesus wants to speak to you right now. He wants to recharge your spirit. If you feel empty today, go back to the source. Sit and take from Jesus what he'd give you. 1 John 4, 16 says, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in him, love abides in God, and God abides in him. Jesus was able to love Judas because he had that access to God's love. He was abiding in it. How many of you guys realize that you have access to that love? Here's another question. What makes a person hard to love? What makes a person hard to love? I think sometimes it can be their actions, their attitudes, their words, the things that they say to you. But you know what? Sometimes our inability to love someone has more to do with us. That's why we need to see people with the eyes of God and not the eyes of man. Because a lot of times we look at people and we just think of them as obstacles. You're in my way. I can't enjoy my life if you're here. Think of that person. How many of you guys have that person in your mind right now? You're like, I can't enjoy my life whenever you're around. For me, it was a guy named Michael. Many of you guys have heard me talk about him. There was, I just showed up to school, and as soon as I saw his face, I'm like, well, there goes my day. <laughs> There's Michael. Like, seriously, he was mean to me, and I was mean to him. Like, I was the nicest to everyone in my school, but with Michael, we just had this, like, hate-hate relationship. I don't know what the deal was. Listen, there's a great saying... And I don't know who said it. Some people said it was a guy named Plato. Some guys said it was Socrates. Some, I don't know who it was. But there's this great quote that says, be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. Listen, the people in your life who are going through hard things, you don't know what's going on in their life. Or I should say the people who are mean to you, the people you think, man, that guy's just a big jerk. He's a bully. Man, that girl is terrible. She just tears everyone down. You don't know what's going on. For a lot of those people, they're fighting a hard battle in their life. Maybe their dad or mom ran out on them. Maybe they're going through a lot of financial trouble. Maybe they were abused. Maybe they were beaten when they were younger, and now they take their anger out on everyone else. We need to stop and think about these things. Now, of course, everyone's responsible for their actions. You can't blame your sin on your past. You have to, like, you have to say, this is my thing. I own it. But the reality is... People are going through a lot. And as Christians, love means caring more about the person who's abusing us and hurting us than the person that is us. It's caring more about the person making our life terrible than our own comfort. It's crazy. The love of Jesus is crazy. If you don't believe me, though, just look at Jesus. Think about Jesus. So he, he's in heaven, comes down to earth to hang out. And to, like, preach the good news. And, you know, to try to make a connection with his family, the people of Israel. What do they do? The Jews are angry. They don't listen. You guys who have been following this, this message series, you know. The, Jesus tries to talk to the Jews. They're just, they're shallow. All they want is free bread. 
They don't want the gospel. And they're always trying to stone him. Like every, like he has to walk on eggshells because everything he says, they're like, oh, oh, stone him, stone him, pick up some rocks. Like that was, no, that didn't line up with what we think you should be saying, Jesus. If I were Jesus, I'd I'd be over it. I'm like, I'm done. I'm literally done. I'm going to go to 2016 and I'm going to go to Mexico and I'm going to bring the gospel to the Mexicans and they'll be the new Jews. Like forget you Jews. That's, I'd be like, like if I were Jesus and I knew about the California burrito, and I looked in the future and I saw that, I'd be like, forget this BC stuff. I'm going into the future. That's, that's what I would do. But Jesus was not over it. You know what Jesus did to the people who were trying to stone him and the people he knew would kill him and crucify him? The Bible said he weeps for them. Jesus wept. Have you ever wept for your enemies? I've wept because of my enemies. There's been times as a little kid, I've cried into my pillow because I felt like someone mistreated me at school. But have you ever wept? Have you ever shed a tear for your enemy going, man, Lord, this enemy I have just must be going through something so difficult. Lord, save them, help them. That's the heart of Jesus. How could he be this way? How could Jesus be this way? Well, listen, he knew. He knew the reason that they were why they were. Jesus knew that the Jews had been captured so many times. Right now, they're under the Roman rule. And did you guys know, how many of you guys know about the 400 years of silence? Anybody? 400 years of silence? Yeah? Okay, so before the gospel starts, you know how in the New Testament, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospels? If you didn't know, the people of God, the Jews, had experienced 400 years of silence from God before Jesus showed up on the scene. Imagine going four years with feeling like you didn't hear anything from God. You open up the Bible, you sit in a Bible study, like you're, you're like, God, I want to hear from you. And he's just like, I'm not saying anything. No direction, nothing. The Jews had sinned so much and they had walked away from God so much, but that by the end of the Old Testament, 400 years passed. So these guys are in a really bad spot spiritually. They are literally only thinking of themselves. They're only thinking, man, like, God, we just need God to come and overthrow the Romans and kill them, and that's all we need. Like, they, they were not thinking clearly. And Jesus knows this. He knows the result of the 400 years of silence because of their sin was now you have these angry, ignorant, shallow people, and he loved them. He loved them as they killed him. He forgave them. When he's on the cross, what does he say? He says, Father, forgive them because they don't even know what they're doing. It's incredible. Jesus is incredible. Do we have that same heart for the people in our life we would say is unlovable? The next thing we see is that Jesus loves when it would be so easy to hate. It's crazy love. There's some situations where I feel like anger and hate, like in our flesh, we would feel like it would be justified. I'll tell you a story that happened to me. It's a time I really felt angry and hateful just the other day. Let me set the scene. I'm at home. I'm sitting in my home office. Brooklyn is on the couch, relaxing. It's a pleasant day. I get up to talk to Brooklyn, to tell her something. And I walk into the other room, and I, and I start walking. And I'm about to open my mouth, and I look at the stairs. You guys know the little stairs that come up in the kitchen? There's a straight-up giant snake just chilling on my steps. Now... My response was not the most masculine. 
it was kind of just like, oh, oh no, oh. And then I'm like, Brooklyn, go. And she's like, what's going on? I'm like, just go. And she's like, throws the laptop and like just runs in the bedroom. And I'm like, there's a snake in the house. So she goes and runs up on the bed. And I did do one good husband thing. I, my, my main priority was getting her out of the house. So I've got one eye on the snake and like one eye on her. I'm like, just get out of the house. Go, go, go. Go out the back door. So she runs out the back door. I run out with her. I'm totally freaking out. I'm like, like, like Indiana Jones, like snakes. Why'd it have to be snakes? Like I, I'm so full of hatred at that moment. And then, and then I go back in the house. And the snake is still sitting there. He's just sitting on the stairs, just looking up like, and I'm like, oh gosh, snake, it's like 10 feet, it's crazy. It was huge, it was like thick and nasty. It was a terrible snake. Then I go back out and I'm like, what do we do? And I call my dad and my dad's like, uh, I don't know what to do. And then I call, he's like, call Jamie. Jamie's a tough guy. So I'm like, okay, Jamie, what are you doing? Jamie's like, oh shoot, man. I don't know, like maybe hit it with a broom, bye. And so I'm just like, what do I do? Then I go back in the house, and I look at the stairs, and the snake is gone. It's just, it's, I'm like, where is it? I felt so betrayed by my own home. Like, I have lived in this house for two years, and it has provided me with safety and security. Sure, I've had some mice. Sure, I've had some flies. I can deal with that. Like, me in the house, like, we were cool after that. But a snake, I was like, I don't know if I could live here anymore, house. You've betrayed me. You've betrayed my trust. Two years of my life I invested in you, and now you throw snakes at me, house. How dare you? How, I, I was so angry. I went down to my neighbor. He's this crazy guy who I think used to be a drug dealer. I'm not sure. He's pretty gnarly. He's the guy who has that dog who always comes out and attacks you guys, that white pit bull. And I'm just like, if there's anybody who would be willing to just go into a house and grab a snake, it's this dude. And so I knock on his door, and he's like, hey, what could... Oh, oh, oh. Oh. The podium betrayed me. I knock on the door, and I say to the dude, hey, and he's like, hey, what can I do for you, son? And I'm like, there's a snake in my house. I'm so sorry. Can you help me? And he's like, yeah, let's go. And he literally walks in my house, and the snake is climbing onto the piano, and he just grabs it with one hand. He's like, hey, and he comes outside, and he's like waving it at Brooklyn. I'm like, oh, my gosh, please go. And he's like, I got a cage of these in my backyard. I'm going to add it to the collection. And he just walked away and jumped and clicked his heels, and it was beautiful. The point, the point is, the point is, if you were to come to me and tell me, Aaron, I know you're mad at the snake, but I want you to love the snake. I want you to go pet the snake. I want you to go feed the snake. Go hug the snake. I'd be like, no, it's a snake, and it's going to kill me. I'm not going to do that. It's a snake. Judas in this story is a snake. Like he's, he's been with Jesus for three years, and he is betraying Jesus. And Jesus loves him. He washes his feet. Jesus knows he's going to betray him. He does. I mean, think about it. Jesus gives this command in his darkest hours. He says, this is a new commandment I give to you. Love one another. It would be the perfect moment. If I was Jesus, I'd be like, here's my new commandment to you. Love one another. Except Judas. He's a traitor. He stinks. He should die. That's, that's what I would say if I was Jesus. But I think it's super interesting that in this moment, right before Judas is about to betray Jesus, Jesus drops this on his disciples. Here's my command to you. Love one another. In fact, the way people will know, the way people will be identified 
as my disciple is by how they love. People will look at how they love, how they forgive, how they love their enemies, and they'll say, oh, those, those are Jesus followers. Those are Christ followers because of how they love. That's their ID. I think it's interesting that he doesn't expose Judas. When you see at the table, when you read, you know, there's this conversation where Jesus says, one of you will betray me. And then Jesus doesn't say, it's Judas. <laughs> I think it was actually a private conversation between him and John, because it starts out, Jesus tells the table, one of you will betray me. It'd be like if I walked up the room, I'm like, hey, one of you guys is going to shoot me later today. Like I saw a vision from the Lord. One of you guys is going to shoot me in the kneecap and stab me in the shoulder. And then it'd be like if all of you guys were like, is it me? Is it me? Hey, hey, is it me? Like everyone's talking at once. In that movie, everyone was like really quiet. I've never been to a dinner party where everyone just is like, is it I, Lord? Ask him. <laughs> like that's, that's what we saw in the video. I think in real life, when Jesus said, one of you betray me, the disciples are all freaking out. They're like, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? And Peter's like, hey, hey, John. John, 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 ask him who it is. You're closest. Lean in, ask him, and tell me, because I'm going to kill that guy. That's what Peter's thinking. Peter doesn't think it's him. Peter's like, you better ask John, because it might be you. Peter's prideful. He's the prideful Christian who's like, there's no way I could be the traitor. There's no way I could be in sin. John, you'd better ask. So John leans in, and I think Jesus didn't yell this to the table. John just says, Jesus, who is it? And I think Jesus turns to John and just whispers back, hey, John, the guy that I dip the bread in the bowl and get that sweet sauce with, that's the traitor. That's who it is. Because think about it. If, if everyone knew it was Judas, like if it was like how it is in the movies, have you guys seen the Son of God movie? Oh my gosh. If you haven't seen Son of God, we watched it in the theaters. So the way that in artistic interpretation of the story goes is they're all sitting at the table and Jesus is like, one of you will betray me. And everyone's like, who is it, Lord? And he goes... It is the one that when I dip in the cup and he partakes of it. And he turns to Judas and he starts putting the cracker in his mouth. And he's like, he will betray me. And Judas is like backing him. He's like, no, I really, I don't want it. And Jesus is like, no, you do. And he like puts the cracker in his mouth. It is the creepiest, like that's, no, I think this was a private conversation. And this just makes it so much more interesting because think about it, think about it. If everyone at that table who loved Jesus and served him knew that it was Judas, if Judas is just exposed, I think John's the only one who knows. If Judas is exposed, you can, like, you have no doubt that Peter is grabbing his sword and saying, I knew it was Judas. He's been stealing from the money box. I saw him. I knew he was shady from the moment I saw him. Stab. Like, Jesus doesn't, I don't think Jesus drops this traitor bombshell on the whole table. I think he drops it on John, and John's the one who writes it down. Because that's another thing. When Judas gets up, the Bible says when Judas gets up, and Jesus is like, hey, Judas, go and do what you've been planning on doing. Everyone just assumes he's going out for groceries. They're just like, oh, I guess he's going to go pick up some food. Like, that's, that's what they think. It's crazy. Now, here's a question I think we need to wrestle with this morning. Why did Judas betray Jesus? I think, in fact, I know, because Judas, the way he saw Jesus, Jesus wasn't who Judas expected him to be. Judas had expectations of who Judas or who Jesus was supposed to be, and Jesus let those down. It's kind of like there's, a, there's this classroom, and it was like these kindergartners, and they were told, hey, a really special person's going to show up to class today, and it's the president. President Obama shows up to their class. And this kindergarten girl, she's so disappointed. She's like, ugh, 
President Obama. And Obama's like, hey, hey, uh, hey, uh, what's wrong, little girl? She goes, I thought it was going to be Beyonce. I don't want you. True story. She's like, go away. She wasn't impressed. Judas had these, like, Beyonce expectations of Jesus. Jesus was going to come in on a white horse, overthrow the Romans, kill those guys, take over, set himself up as king of the Jews, restore Israel, make Israel great again, bring the nation back to what it was supposed to be. And instead, Judas looks at Jesus, and he's like, all he does is he just goes around, and he heals people for free, he feeds people for free, he's a money waster. Remember the story of the woman who anoints Judas's, or Jesus's feet with oil? And Judas, is, Judas says, that's a waste of money. That's like four months' salary. Jesus, how could you? He's losing his devotion to Jesus. There's this song. Have any of you guys ever heard the band R.E.M.? Anybody? Yeah, a few people. It's an old band. I remember I was standing in this room when I was in ninth grade, standing right there. It used to be two rooms. So I was on this side. It was the science classroom. I think it was room 302 or 301. And uh, my friend Trevor Daigle was like, dude, you got to listen to this band R.E.M. So I was listening to them. And, and this, there's this song by R.E.M. called Losing My Religion. And it totally, I don't know if you guys are going to track with this, but like for me, the lyrics of this song came back to me as I was listening to the story of Judas. This is what the song says. It says, that's me in the corner. That's me in the spotlight, losing my religion, trying to keep up with you. And I don't know if I can do it. Oh no, I've said too much. I haven't said enough. I think that's Judas. I think he's sitting there and he's like, Jesus, I'm losing my religion. I looked up the meaning of the song. The guy who wrote it, um, when he said losing my religion, he wasn't writing it about him falling away from Christianity. He was actually writing a song about him losing his devotion to a girl. He was in love with this girl. He thought she was amazing, but all of a sudden he realizes that she's not who he thought she was. And now he's like, I'm losing my devotion to you. Like, I thought you were one way, you're the other. Like, I don't know if I can keep up with you. I think that's how Judas feels. He's like, Jesus, I thought you were this, and now you're this, and I'm just, I'm sitting here, and I'm losing my devotion. I'm losing my religion to you. And Judas goes, and he sells Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver throws away everything him and Jesus had. But you know what? Listen, the biggest betrayal, listen, listen, the biggest betrayal of Judas, I think, is that he said to Jesus in his heart, Lord, you are not enough. I think that's the biggest betrayal of Judas. After all he's been through, Judas has spent three years with Jesus and he's seen miracles. He's seen Jesus bring people back from the dead. He's seen Jesus heal people. He's seen the love of Jesus. He's listened to the words of Jesus. And after all that, Judas says, you know what? It's not enough. I wanted you to be this way. I don't care about all the great things you've done. It's not enough for me. It's kind of like um, in The Wizard of Oz. You guys know when Dorothy gets there and she sees the great and I am the great and powerful Oz. And then she pulls back the curtain and there's just a little man back there. I think that's how Judas saw Jesus. He thought he was so great, but he felt like he had pulled back the curtain, and he, he said, oh, you know, Jesus is just, he's just this little prophet. He's nothing special. I don't want to follow him anymore. But you know what? I think Judas had it backwards. I think Judas had it backwards because I think Judas's idea of who Jesus was supposed to be was that's the little man behind the curtain. Jesus missed, or Judas missed how great and powerful Jesus actually is. He missed it. Listen, how many of you guys have in your life said to Jesus, Lord, you're not enough. 
If I say that, you might say, I've never said that. I've never told Jesus he's not enough. I've never said, Jesus, you're not enough for me. Yeah, maybe we haven't said it with our words, but have we said it with our actions? Because every time we sin, every time we choose to sin, I'm not just talking about those little sins that you happen by accident, the little slip of anger, the lustful thought, the, the compulsive lie where you're not even thinking about it. I'm talking about the sin where we choose it and we know it's wrong and we know it hurts God and we know it hurts our parents, but we do it anyway because we, in our hearts we say, Lord, you're not enough. Your grace is not enough. Your love is not enough. I need this. I need this sin. This sin makes me happy. This sin completes me. It fulfills me. When we do that, we're making the mistake of Judas. In the moment when Jesus says, one of you betray me, the disciples are like, is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? I think we need to ask, am I betraying you, Jesus? And betraying Jesus, it doesn't mean uh, when you forget to post one of these things, you know, like those messages that come up on Facebook, and it's like, hey, listen, Jesus saw this, And if you don't like it, or if you don't forward it, then Jesus is going to be really sad. For some people, that's what they think of betraying Jesus. Listen, betraying Jesus is when we sin against him. And in the heart of every believer is a traitor. It's called the old man. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that we have an old man. Our new man, that's the Holy Spirit. Jesus gives us a new heart and a new desire. But how many of you guys, when you got saved, and it's harder for you guys who've grown up in the church, but how many of you guys, when you got saved, you realize, I still sin. I still make mistakes. That's because you have the flesh. The flesh is in you, and it fights against you. And sin leads to death. Now listen, Judas, in the story, he has all these doubts about Jesus, He has all of these regrets about Jesus. Did he tell anybody? No. You know what? I think if Judas would have gone to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, you know what? I'm really struggling. I thought you were going to do this. I thought you were going to overthrow the Romans, but you're just healing people. You're just like, that doesn't line up with what I thought you were supposed to be, Jesus. Can you help me? Jesus would have sat down with him and talked with him and shared with him and blown his mind about the great plan. But Judas never asked for help. And a lot of times when we sin, we don't ask for help. You know what we do? It's kind of like, let's say you, like, this is a total hypothetical situation, but it'd be like if you killed somebody, and now you've got a corpse, a dead body lying there, and you're like, I got to hide this. So you build a wall around it, and then you put pictures up on the wall so that people look, and they're like, oh, what a nice wall with these pictures. It's so beautiful. But you know what? If that dead body is on the other side of the wall, it's going to stink eventually, That's our sin. You can build a wall around your sin. You can say, I'm not going to let anyone in. I'm not going to let anyone know what I'm doing. I'm not going to let anyone know what I'm struggling with. And then you can put those pictures up on the wall. And you can say, look at me. Like, here's pictures of me serving the Lord. Here's pictures of me worshiping. Like, here's, here's me on the outside trying to pretend and prove that I'm this Christian. While on the inside, you're struggling with sin. And you hate it. And sometimes you love it. But you want it to be gone. And sometimes you want it to never leave because you're in slavery to it. Jesus wants to break down that wall and free you of the sin, but it's not going to happen unless you turn to him. You have to turn to him. I think this is where we're probably going to wrap up. The last thing that I'll say is for Judas... His identification, his ID, 
On the outside, it was follower of Jesus, but on the inside, it was traitor. And now that's his identity forever. That's how we see him. That's his story. We remember Judas as the guy who betrayed Jesus. For me, I want, I want different. I want love to be my identification. When I'm gone and when I've passed on and died and people talk about me, I want them to remember he loved Jesus. Love was his identity. For you guys, when I think of our group, what is our identity? I want love to be our identity. And sometimes it's hard to love. Sometimes it's hard to love. But Jesus proves to us that his love is greater than our inability to love. And if you're here today and you're struggling, if you're here today, and if I were to ask you the question, is love hard for you? And if your answer is yes, sometimes love is so hard for me, plug into Jesus today. If I asked you the question, can you love your enemies? Can you serve your enemies? And if your answer is no, I hate my enemies. I want them to fall off a cliff and die. If that's your answer to that question, plug in to Jesus today. Ask Jesus to make you more like him. I want to ask you, are you known more for who you love or for what you hate? Are you known for who you love or what you hate? If the answer to any of those questions is a negative one, turn to Jesus. Because Jesus was the God who was able to love Judas. That amazes me. It amazes me that he loves me. It amazes me that he loves Judas. It's amazing. Jesus is amazing. Let's pray and let's ask him to really make these things solid in our hearts. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for your word. We ask you, Jesus, that you would help us. So many times our, identi our identity is, is hater. So many times our identity is all wrapped up in what we don't like. It's all wrapped up in who we can't stand. So many times, Lord, it's all about being on the winning team and and we hate that group, and we hate that clique, and we just want to love ourselves. Lord, open up our hearts. Some of the people in our lives, God, that we're hating, that we're holding grudges against, Lord, they haven't done anything as bad as what Judas did, and yet we hate them. God, if you can forgive Judas, we can forgive those who've wronged us. So Jesus, I just pray that our identity would be loved today. I pray that we'd leave today and that you would help us to love you with all of our hearts and all of our minds and all of our souls. Help us, Lord, if there's anyone here today who's holding on to bitterness or holding on to a grudge or holding on to unforgiveness and hurt, help them to lay that down at your feet today and surrender it to you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for us. And even though we've heard that a million times, I pray we'd never forget how important that is. We love you, God, and we ask all this in your name. Amen. Amen.